0: Good morning, Element Church, and welcome to week two of House Church. Uh, for some of you, this is your first week jumping into one of our House Churches, and I just want to welcome you and say that we're so glad that you chose to be a part of this uh, new phase that we're moving into as a church. Some of you are still streaming online, and uh, we're so glad that you're joining in with us, and I want you to know, too, that there is still room Uh, in several of our homes. And so if you haven't signed up to be a part of a house church yet, uh, it's not too late. There's still an opportunity to do that. And so we would love for you to be a part of this over the next couple weeks as we continue this journey together. But I also want to welcome you because today is week two of our new series titled Lies We Believed. Now, if we're honest, over the last couple months, there have been some things in our lives that uh, we believed as truth but as we walked through uh, this pandemic, as we walked through stay at home and safer at home orders and all these social distancing rules, and uh, as so much of our lives were turned upside down, what we thought was truth actually has been exposed to be a lie. And in this series, that's what we're doing. We're we're kind of un- uncovering or exposing some of those truths that we thought uh, were real for us that are being exposed as lies, and some of them are very serious, and some of them are a little more entertaining, or maybe even just surprising. Like, uh, here's a great one that I know a lot of people have experienced uh, over the course of the last few months, and uh, that was this this idea that you believed, that uh, really it was your kid's teacher that was the problem. And then everyone became teachers themselves, and we realized, oh, maybe... Maybe those teachers knew what they were doing. Maybe, maybe it's not the teachers that are the problem. Uh, here's another one. I think we all believed was everyone knows how to use a webcam. And unfortunately we discovered not everyone knows how to use a webcam, even in the 21st century. Uh, there's certainly been some crazy, uh, zoom fail videos out there on social media if you've seen them. Um, but then there are a lot more serious ones. Like last week when we started this series, we talked about the lie that I don't need other people or I don't need anyone else, that, that I'm good just on my own. I have everything and can do everything I need. And I think what uh, one of the lessons that we've learned through the last few months is how important other people are in our lives, how important social uh, and personal interaction is with other people that we really can't do life on our own. At least, not the kind of life we crave and the kind of life God designed us for. And so, this lie that we don't need other people has really been exposed for what it is—a lie. And as we talked last week, we talked about how, how the gospel informs our, our understanding and need of one another, and, and we also talked about how the gospel calls us to unity—that we are to live in unity uh, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and. Some of the things we talked about as we talked about this unity is that as, as the gospel informs how we relate to others, that, that our love should be genuine, that what we say or what we post should actually reflect what's in our hearts. Or maybe if we say the right thing, our hearts should reflect what we post or say. We talked about how, um, we are called because of the gospel to weep with those who weep. And the reality is for some, uh, it's hard to weep in this season because you haven't personally experienced some of the things that have caused others to be angry or to weep over. And what the gospel says is that we don't weep because we've experienced something personally. We weep with uh, our fellow brothers and sisters when they weep, even if it's something that we haven't personally experienced. Because we care about them, because we're united to them in the gospel. When others weep, we weep. And we also talked about how despite the world teaching us that we treat our own in one way and we treat others in another way. That the gospel calls us to treat everyone uh, with love and respect and dignity. That anyone, even if they think they're our enemy, that we we care for them and we serve them. Um, and as we move into week two and we change topics over uh, covering a new lie that a lot of us have been tempted to believe, I want to start with just a question. And and here's my question for you today, besides the kingdom of God, which we talked about several weeks ago and is the most common topic that Jesus taught on. It was what he brought up the, the most often. Besides the kingdom of God, what do you think Jesus taught on the most? Think about it for just a second. What do you think Jesus taught on the most? Was it love, peace, Maybe your first thought is heaven or hell or sin. Maybe you would say faith or prayer. But actually, aside from the kingdom of God, the most common and frequently mentioned topic in all of Jesus's teachings, more than faith and prayer combined, is money. Now, Jesus taught on a lot of subjects and he taught using a lot of different styles, but his most common, his most preferred method was by using parables. Um, As a matter of fact, he used parables so much to teach that in Mark 4.34, uh, Mark actually kind of summarizes Jesus's public ministry by saying, Jesus didn't teach the people or them anything without using parables. That's what he says in, in Mark chapter four. Now, a parable is just an illustrative story. A parable can be true, so it can, it can actually come from real historical events, but generally parables don't. General, generally parables are made up stories um, that are told to illustrate an important spiritual truth or idea. And it was Jesus's favorite way of teaching. We have at least or about 40 parables that are recorded in the four gospels that we have that detail the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now, some of those parables are told multiple times, but we have about 40 um, individual parables. And depending on kind of how you count them, um, somewhere between over a third and almost half of all the parables that Jesus taught on or, or used as a teaching tool, um, almost half of them uh, talk about money, wealth, possessions, or They use things like money and wealth and possessions as an illustrative tool to teach on some spiritual truth. If you're familiar with the New Testament, the Gospels, if you're familiar with a lot of Jesus's teachings, I want you to just think for a minute about all the parables of Jesus and how many of them deal with money or possessions or wealth on some level. Like out of Matthew chapter 24 and 25 or uh, Luke chapter 19, uh, the parable of the talents um, that teach us uh, that we are to be good stewards of all the blessings and the gifts that God has given to us. Or Lazarus and the rich man out of Luke chapter 16. Uh, which teaches us to worry more about our position in heaven and less about our position here on earth. Um, Or the parable of the laborers and the vineyard out of Matthew chapter 20, uh, which teaches us to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Uh, Or the the parable of the widow's coins in Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 21, which redefines for us uh, what we consider generosity and how we measure generosity. Or maybe the parable of the, uh, the great pearl, the pearl of the great price or, or the hidden treasure. Those both come out of Matthew chapter 13 and uh, they teach us about pursuing what really matters in life. Um, or the rich fool in his barn out of Luke chapter 12, which um, for us kind of exposes an often ignored aspect of greed. Um, there's the parable of the money lender in Luke chapter 7. Um, which teaches us that, that the more forgiveness we experience, the more uh, worship and gratitude should be uh, created in our own hearts. And, and not even all of them are parables. If you think about some of the real historical interactions that Jesus had with people, uh, we get this really interesting contrast in Luke chapters 18 and 19. In, in Luke chapter 18, we see the rich young ruler. And, in Luke chapter 19, we see Zacchaeus. Both of these individuals were very wealthy, um, and wealth was a big piece of who they were and how they saw their identity in their life. And both of them have this interaction with Jesus. Uh, and, and in this interaction, Jesus calls them to something bigger, calls them to something higher, calls them to give their lives to pursuing what really matters. And we see this really bold, big contrast between the two because one of them chooses money and one of them chooses Jesus. And then you can think of even some other parables that, that uh, the main point is a, isn't about money, but that money plays an important role. Like uh, out of Luke chapter 10, you have the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and in this story, uh, somebody asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And, and he replies with what many of us are familiar with. Uh, the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And someone responds, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells this story to illustrate who the, our neighbor is. And he says, there's this guy who was mugged. He was beaten. He was robbed. He was left naked and bleeding on the side of the road. And a couple self-righteous religious people pass by on the other side of the road because they don't want to be bothered to help him. And then here comes this Samaritan, a stranger, a foreigner, someone that doesn't know this guy. And, and he stoops down to pick him up, to help him and to care for him. And, and what we're told in this story is that um, the Samaritan actually takes this wounded man uh, and essentially pays for his hospital bills. He takes them. He takes them to get care and says, hey, whatever it costs, I'll pay for it. Now, the point of that parable is to teach us about who is our neighbor and our neighbor is anyone who's in need that we see. It's not just who lives as closest to you. It's about anyone that we interact with or come across who is in need. But there's this subtle uh, point in the parable where the Samaritan says, hey, I'm prepared and willing to be generous to care for others. And so there's like a subtle uh, financial uh, point to teach us. Or you could think uh, out of Luke chapter 15, what is probably the most famous parable uh, of all of Jesus's teachings, uh, the parable of the lost son, or often we call it the parable of the prodigal son. And again, money is not the main point of that parable, but money and wealth and possessions is what exposes the real issues in the prodigal son's life and in his heart. It's money that causes him to initially go astray. It's money that, that sees him fall and, and crash and burn when everything is lost. It's, it's the lack of money that exposes his heart. And so e- even in the most famous parable, even though it's not about money, Jesus uses money within that story to illustrate a really important point. Which brings us, uh, really to, to the focus for today, uh, to the point about money and the lies that you and I often believe when it comes to money and wealth and possessions. And, and, and that lie for us to expose and to talk about today is, is this, that we often tell ourselves lies about money, but money tells the truth about us. Now, I want to let that sink in for just a minute. We often tell ourselves lies about money, but money tells the truth about us. And as we explore this idea a little further, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 on a teaching of Jesus. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon where Jesus actually mixes in just regular, straightforward teaching along with some parables. He kind of uses a lot of different teaching tools um, in this sermon. And in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to see that he he's going to talk to us about money and what it does in and with our heart. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19, uh, if you'll look at that with me. And it says this, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what is Jesus talking about here? Um, Well, he's not talking about some kind of celestial savings account that you can like deposit in every paycheck. Um, You know, if we're honest, uh, within the last uh, you know many decades, two generations, uh, there have been a lot of preachers. There have been a lot of religious and faith leaders uh, who have abused their position of authority or influence in people's lives to swindle them, to 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 essentially act as a con artist, to take money from those who really need it and and put it in their own pocket for their own advantage. And Oftentimes it gives us a really bad taste and we start talking about both faith and money, but Jesus in his teaching isn't doing this. He's not trying to swindle anyone. Jesus isn't teaching on money and then passing an offering bucket around uh, for everyone to give up something, uh, for him. As a matter of fact, um, Jesus routinely taught about the dangers of wealth and money. And, uh, and, and when some people came to follow him, Jesus would give them warnings. He would say, Hey, you need to know, you need to count the cost of what it means to follow me. In Matthew chapter eight, some disciples come up and they, they want to follow Jesus. And he says this to them. He says, listen, just so you know, uh, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but me, I have nowhere to lay my head. What he was saying is like, listen, uh, if you come to follow me, this is not, you're not jumping on a bandwagon to wealth and material possessions. That's not what I'm about. That's not what we're doing here. And so Jesus isn't trying to teach like, hey, I, I give up money on earth so you can give it to me and I'll deposit it into heaven for you. He's hes trying to illustrate something a little bit differently. Uh, and he's actually trying to get at something even deeper than our checkbooks and, um, or I guess No one uses checkbooks today. Uh, He's getting deeper than your your plastic, I guess we could say. Um, And so to illustrate what he means by kind of rewards in heaven, rewards in earth, um, Jesus is going to give some examples. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We were just looking at verses 19 and 20. We're going to back up to verses 1 and 2 and then a few other verses still in chapter 6. So we're going to back up Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses 1 and 2. And Jesus says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full or they have received their reward. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. Jesus says, listen. When you do something good, when you are generous, when you when you give to those in need, don't post about it. Now here he says, hey, don't blow your trumpet in the synagogue and in the streets, which is uh, not exactly how we would do it today. But he says, hey, don't get on Facebook. Don't get on Instagram. Don't get on Twitter and start bragging about the generosity that you have. Don't get on and start talking about all the great things that you've done. Because the moment you do that, what you've just revealed is that your generosity isn't about that person in need. The generosity was about you. It was about you getting attention. It's about you getting the praise of other people for your deed. And so it's not Jesus doesn't say, don't give to those in need. He says, don't make a big deal about it when you give to those in need. Don't go around bragging about it, making a big deal. Because the moment you do, then you've just received all of your reward. Because the reward you were after was praise from other people. Well, you got it. Congratulations. But don't expect a reward from God. He says, rather, when you give, and he wants us to give, do it in secret. Uh, Jesus is going to give us another example in verse 16. Uh, in verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And this is the same kind of idea. If you don't know what fasting is, fasting is when you go, generally it's when you go without food for a certain period of time. It can be a day, a couple days. Um, Sometimes people will fast longer. And and the point is, there's kind of two points. One is to deny yourself something that you genuinely want and need in, in an effort to get something that you want and need even more. And so it's like, I'm going to fast from eating food so that I can devote more time and attention to prayer. But the other advantage is that because we all need to eat and our bodies give us those regular reminders, when you're fasting, every time your stomach grumbles, it's like an alarm that says, hey, don't forget to pray. And so he says, like, not don't fast. He says, when you fast, don't go walking around like you're hungry, like you're in a bad mood. Don't go walking around showing your hunger and your sacrifice on your face. And maybe you make sacrifices in other ways. Maybe it's not just fasting from food, but it's something else. You give up something you love for something you love even more. That's what sacrifice is. But don't go around making sure that everyone in your life knows about your sacrifice. Don't go around making sure that everyone knows how great you are because you gave something up, whether it's food or something else. He says, because the moment you did that, What it reveals is that in your heart, you really weren't worried about getting closer to God or spending more time in prayer. You were just worried about what other people would think of you. You were worried that other people would think you were very spiritual. And Jesus says, if that's what you wanted, congratulations, you got it. All your complaints, all your moping, all that gloomy look on your face, you got everything you wanted. Don't do that. Instead, have the right heart. That it's not about what other people think of you. It's about an opportunity to... Do something good for others or or be more intimately connected with God. And so he doesn't say, don't give to the needy, don't fast. He says, don't make a show out of it. Because the moment you do, you reveal something about your heart. Now, a minute ago, we were reading in Matthew chapter six. We read verses 19 and 20, but I stopped there. Now I want to read verse 21. So I'm going to read verses 19 and 20 again, and then we'll finish with verse 21. And so again, Matthew six, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then here's verse 21 for where your treasure is there. Your heart will be also where your treasure is there. Your heart will be also. You see, we tell ourselves lies about money, but money tells the truth about us. See, there's this intimate connection between our treasure and our heart. And so we can say what we want. We can say all the right things. But in the end, what our heart is tied to is not our words. It's not tied to what we post or saying the right thing. Really, our heart is tied to our treasure and what we do with it. And so in this series, we're we're talking about the lies we believed. The lies that we believed around relationships. Today, we're talking about the lies we believed around money and wealth and possessions. And here are a couple of lies that I think we have believed. And some of these will be more applicable to you than others. We'll all be in different camps. But one of the lies that we believed is that it's my money. That my money is for me, and it's for my consumption, and it's for my use, and it's for my happiness. And we built our lives off of this assumption that um, it's mine, so I can spend it on whatever I want. Or this idea or lie that the underlying assumption is that my money will always be there, that the dollar is always coming in. So I don't need to save for a purchase tomorrow because the paycheck is coming tomorrow. Because see, all the money I that comes in is all for me. So for every dollar that comes in, a dollar goes out. Or if we were really honest, whether this is you today or it's been you in a different season, sometimes it's when a dollar comes in, a dollar and some change goes out. Because we assume it's all for us. And we assume that the money's always going to keep coming in. And then something like what we experienced over the last couple of months happens. And some people were furloughed, some people lost their jobs. And all of a sudden they realize that the dollar isn't guaranteed to come in next week. And whatever dollar I get today, hundred percent of it isn't for me. It isn't for me to spend today. It, it, it isn't just fully mine to get what I want. But that's not the only lie that we believe about money. For some of us, uh, the lie that we believe is that I can buy my security. Now, let's just be honest for a moment, okay? Some of you, uh, as we just talk about this, uh, some of it stings, and some of you are thinking, this is too early. Like, it's a little too early for us to be having this conversation because the wounds are still fresh, the pain is still fresh, I'm still worried and scared and unsure of the future. You may have lost your job and you still haven't found another one. And so this whole topic is really fresh and you're kind of thinking, uh, I, it seems like a little early. It's a little too soon to be talking about this, but the reality is we talk about this because while the pain is fresh, it allows us to make adjustments. A lot of us have had to make adjustments over the last couple of months about what really is and what really is not important in our budget. And I would argue if it's not important today, if it's not important, when you don't have a job and you're trying to figure out how to keep the mortgage current, how to put food on the, on the table, if it's not important, then then it wasn't important beforehand when you didn't have to worry about it. And so the best thing we can do is to learn from the pain. The worst thing we could do is experience the pain, but not grow from it. You know, there's that statement that we've all heard. If you played sports, your coaches said it a thousand times, right? No pain, no gain. This idea that if you wanna grow, you gotta push through barriers. If you want your muscles to grow, then you've got to lift heavy weights. You've gotta tear the muscles down so that they can grow back bigger and stronger. No pain, no gain. But how terrible would it be to have pain but no gain. To go through a painful season or a difficult season, but not grow from it. There's a pastor in Georgia who loves to say it this way, pain without gain is a shame. And I think that says it really well. How terrible would it be for us to go through this season and not learn lessons? So I realize for some of you, the wounds are fresh and the pain is still real early. But here's another reason why we need to talk about it is because for some of you, it's almost too late. For some of you, you're saying it's too early. For some of you, it's almost too late. Because in the early days of sort of the pandemic, the stay at home, essential businesses are closing. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of worry about what if I lose my job? What if I get furloughed for three months or six months? Or maybe you were looking at your bank account or you and seeing it dwindle, or you were looking at your investment portfolio and you were seeing it every single day drop and drop and drop and drop. Now, listen, if I'm honest, this is the lie that I'm tempted to believe more than the other one. I'm a cheapskate. I don't like to spend money of any kind for any reason. I love to hoard it. And so this is the lie that I struggle with. The idea that I can buy my security. I love investing. I've been investing on my own since I was in college because it's just something I've been interested in and enjoy doing. Um, and I remember in February when a lot of things started happening uh, that my wife and I we were actually out of town for a few days, just getting on a little getaway. And I remember waking up the first morning and looking uh, at some of the different apps that I have on my phone and just saying out loud, um, even though it was just theoretical, it wasn't a realized or actualized loss, like looking at my phone and going, this is how much money we just lost today. And then waking up the next morning and like pulling up my phone and the apps and being like, this is how much money we lost yesterday. And And for some of you, right, there was security in those accounts. And then all of a sudden, almost overnight, a microscopic virus from another part of the world threatened your security. For some, this topic is too early. And then for some of us, it's almost too late because you didn't lose your job or furlough didn't last very long. Or if you've been tracking your investment accounts, Everything that was potentially lost is back, maybe for you and then some. And how easy would it be to let that season of insecurity or fear pass by without letting it open our eyes to the lesson that God wants us to learn? We can tell ourselves lies about money, but in the end, money and what happens to it and what we do with it tells the truth about us in our hearts. We've been in Matthew chapter six. I want to jump down a few verses. We were just in night nine, 19 through 21. Let's look at verse 24. Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters for either. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now for most of us, we, we like this idea. We're like, yeah, you, you, you can't, you can't serve two masters. You got to choose who you're going to follow. Um, a lot of people were taught, or if you grew up in church, you, you were uh, taught um, Joshua 24, 15, uh, which is a verse in which Joshua, who's the leader of the Israelite nation, he was uh, Moses's protege. And when Moses died, Joshua stepped up uh, into his place to become the big leader. And in his farewell speech as the leader of these people, he calls everyone to action. And he says, choose this day whom you will serve. And then he starts giving them some options. He says, hey, you want to serve the gods of your ancient ancestors from from long ago? Fine. You want to serve the gods of the people that are surrounding us and the surrounding societies and cultures? Fine. And then he says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua drew a line in the sand. And he said, hey, we're about to move forward and we're about to experience the blessing of what God promised long ago. But you better make a decision today. Decide who you're going to serve. It was a a line in the sand. It was a rallying cry for a whole nation to go, yeah, let's not forget how good God has been, what he's done, and let's make sure our allegiance is in the right place. Well, Jesus kind of does the same thing here. He draws a line in the sand. But here's the deal. I didn't read all of verse 24. I only read part of it. Let's look at the rest. No one can serve two masters, we read this already, for he, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, and then Jesus draws a line in the sand, you cannot serve God and money. See there's a war for your heart. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Ooh. Sometimes we think we've found the comfortable balance and there is a balance because the Bible clearly teaches that sometimes God blesses uh, through finances, through wealth. That that can be a sign of God's blessing in someone's life. But the Bible also talks a lot about the dangers of wealth and money. So there's this fine balance and sometimes we feel like, oh, I'm in a good place. I found the right balance. I'm, I'm good. But then something happens And it exposes a lie that we've believed, a lie that we've believed about money. And this season can actually be a blessing, a blessing in disguise, because as the lies that are revealed in us. It gives us the opportunity uh, to expose those lies and to make a choice, make a choice today whom you will serve. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the time that we have to come together to worship and to think. And Lord, this has been a challenging season for everyone. Some because of a loss of jobs, some because of a loss of relationships, some because uh, plans and, and things that had been worked for for so long were upended. And it's been a difficult season, but God, I pray that the pain we've experienced would lead to gain. That as as we believe things that we thought were truth and they turned out to be lies, that, Lord, that it would be a moment for us to grow and that you would do a work in our hearts. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment as we have a minute to reflect. And as crazy and busy as life is, sometimes we don't take the time to pause and think and reflect. And and this is an invitation for you right now to do that. To allow God to do a work in your heart, to expose lies that you have believed, to come out on the other side stronger, more secure in your position with God, more faithful to what he's called you to, putting more of your security and the foundation of your life on him and not on things and an opportunity for you to really examine your heart and decide today whom you will serve, who you will follow. And I hope that this is a moment right here, right now, for you to pause, to reflect, to examine, to make that commitment, make that decision. Choose today whom you will serve and to follow Jesus in these incredible paths that he wants to take us on as we walk through pain, but through it, God takes us on the other side stronger and more faithful uh, to who he is, to the core of the gospel message and the calling he's placed on our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you. Would you be honored by everything that we are thinking and feeling in this moment as we surrender everything to you, as we trust you fully and the truth you reveal to us in your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name.